Welcome to the Christian Life Austin podcast. Visit clcaustin.com for the latest news, register for an upcoming event, or support the Christian Life ministry through our online giving portal. We trust that you'll enjoy today's message. Thank you once again for listening. We started a series last week. Pastor Mitch so ably began to uh, share with us uh, this this short uh, series that we began, Plan B. How many of you know about Plan B? How many of you know that always, not always in your life does Plan A work out? Can I get an amen? amen. Pastor Mitch last week so wonderfully began this series communicating to us that the reality of broken dreams... The reality of broken hearts and broken plans in life somehow, I wish it wasn't this way, but a lot of times, even in the church, even putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, a lot of times life forces us to deal with these kinds of issues. Or in other words, last week we said that sometimes, a lot of the time, plan A doesn't work out the way we wanted it to, and it forces us to begin to adjust our lifestyles and even our faith and begin to think about big thoughts and about some of the things that we had dreamed about that are not going to come to fruition that we're going to need to learn and to trust God for. Here's what we found out, a wonderful truth he shared with us last Wednesday, that we learned that the road to a God-given dream is not always smooth. Can I get an amen there? The road to a God-given dream is not always smooth. We, we wish it was, I wish it was. But it's not. Pastor Mitch also took us on a journey of King David's life. King David's life was no doubt awesome. And at the end, you hear great, great, great stories about he was a man after God's own heart. And he was a great man. And he did a lot of great things. But his life wasn't all paved roads either. And we learned that King David's life, when it looked like God's hand was out of his circumstances, we learned that God was, was definitely at work in his heart. We said that not all the time you can see God doing the things that he's doing behind the scenes, but every time he's working on your heart. My dad told me this years ago. Sometimes God sends men to churches. Sometimes God sends men to cities to pastor, to preach, to reach out to souls, to help them, to prepare them. And then sometimes God creates a church and then allows a pastor to come in. Things can come into our life that can prepare us for a brighter future. Which brings us to this week, this week, tonight. I want to begin this second week with a question. The question can be answered by everyone that's in here. It doesn't matter if you've been in church 10 minutes or 10 years or 25 years. You can more than likely uh, answer this question. And the question is, is why doesn't God do something about that? Why doesn't God do something about that? Now, the truth about that is, is that you don't have to think very hard to come up with a that. Nobody in this room would have uh, any trouble at all coming up with a that. It's not hard to come up with those. Some of you may be sitting next to a that. Why doesn't God do something about that? Some of you... When you go back home tonight, you're going to pull up into a driveway where that lives in there. Some of you work with that. Some of you work for that. Some of you have PTA meetings with that. 
You know that, yeah, that, 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 that one? Then there's the more serious that's, the kind of that's that we see on television, that we see across the world, and we see these things that take place, and we read about these, these that's in the newspapers. And it's like God, we, we, we can't understand, and we ask God this huge question. And, and it's not a bad question, and I don't want you to feel guilty for asking it. It's a very simple question, uh, three letters with a question mark at the end, and it's why? Why? Why, God? Why don't you do something about that? Now, it's very important that when I ask this question, I'm going to ask you to participate in just a second. But, but God, why don't you do something about that? This is almost everybody in here is going to understand. This is a huge lesson that we're about to learn here. Because if you're stuck in one of these that's, if you are personally, when it's personal, oh, it, it changes everything. A that for you changes everything. I want you to uh, do me a favor. I want you to lift up your hand if you've ever said, God, why don't you do something about that? Play along. Everybody play along. Everybody. If you, if you haven't, you don't have to. Okay, look. Uh, keep your hand up. Keep your hand up. Everybody look around to somebody. Look to your neighbor. Look around. Look, look, look at everybody. That's right. Put your hand down now. That's an important lesson because when it's you, when it's you, it's huge. When it's on TV and you, you notice it and you say, God, why don't you do something about that? Baby, can I have another pot of that spaghetti? Can I get another, let me get another load of that? It goes by just so quickly. You're moved by it. You, want, you, you question why God doesn't do it. And then you move right along. And then there's us. When we're in the midst of that plan A failure, when we're in the midst of that moment where we feel like God is not listening or paying attention to us, there is an overwhelming, oh my goodness. How many of you ever smashed your finger with a hammer? Anybody ever been there? The most unbelievable thing happens. I've been saved by grace. I've been baptized. had all kinds of great things happen. I've had incredible things happen in my life. God has done so many great things. I could, it could be on a Sunday. It doesn't matter. And if I hurt myself, the question comes into my mind, God, what in the world? Why me? I can't believe this is happening to me. You... Are you even there? Because it's me. It ain't you. It's me. When I hit my finger with a hammer, I question everything. And I, I don't judge me too harshly. There's something about this that I want to I want to bring out tonight. I want I want us to be real, and I want us to have a Bible study. I want us to open up God's Word together, and I want us to understand that even in the midst of a plan A failure. And a why God moment that you can maintain faith. You can continue to believe. You can continue to press on even though there are some things that you don't understand that are happening in your life. And here's the amazing thing about Jesus. Jesus was so incredibly uh, caring about this conversation. He cared so much about this conversation that he didn't teach about it. He, concer- he was so concerned about this, this particular question, is why doesn't God do something about that, that he never told a parable about it. Instead, Jesus actually decided not to teach on it, but instead he actually created a that moment where people said, why don't he do something about that? Why doesn't he do something about that? And when he didn't do something about that, 
so that when we would, we would look at this response and how God didn't do something about that, we would know why, what God is doing when he doesn't do something about that. How many of you understand what I just said? Don't ask me to repeat that. We all have that's. Jesus understands the questions that we have about the that's. He never taught on it. He never told a parable about it. He told a lot of parables about all kinds of things, but he never, he never answered that particular question. Instead, he created a that moment. He created this moment, and we're going to look at, look at it in just a moment, but I want you to get this. That's are huge in our lives. In other words, Jesus created this illustration. He created this illustration where he creates his own drama. He created this particular drama so that he could dip into this drama that he created so that we could understand and have a hope going into our futures. Somebody say amen. amen. Now, here's the, here's the great thing about this. We're going to look at this story, and I know you know this story. But so, so just hang with me a second. It's found in John chapter 11. John chapter 11 that I'm going to be referring to and we're going to be diving into and trying to unpack this scripture. We're going to look at a lot of scriptures and I'm going to talk really fast. But you know this story, but I don't want you to just rush along. I want you to follow with me, but I don't want you... Matter of fact, if you know this story, but about 99.9% of the people in here know this story, I'm asking you to pretend you don't know it. Act like you don't know it. Say, I don't know it. I don't know it. I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. If you, if you have your Bible, you flip to John chapter 11, don't look at the heading because the heading gives it away right off the bat. This is a very, very clear, very, very elementary story, but Jesus created this, and I want us to look at this and unfold this and to, to begin to look at the end that he creates. Uh, John chapter 11, verse 1, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. Don't rush ahead. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, where Mary, of Mary and Martha, or, or her sister Martha. So, so here it is. Stop for a second. Don't look up. Mary and Martha have a brother named Lazarus, and they live just a few miles from Jerusalem. And John gives this explanation of who this particular Mary is that he's going to talk about. In verse number 2, he says, This Mary, whose brother Lazarus lay sick, was the same one who poured the perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So everybody in the twenty-first or everybody in the first century, rather, when they read this about that Mary, everybody knew about that Mary. That that news traveled so quickly about her pouring the ointment or the perfume on his feet and wiping her wiping his, the perfume off of their hair. It just it grew. It went like wildfire. So the story continues in verse number three. So the sisters went or sent word to Jesus. They had to send word to him because he wasn't present. And here's what you need to know about that: Jesus was about a day and a half away, so he's really not that far away. And they send word to him, and they say this, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now, how would you like to be the guy or the lady that was known as the one that Jesus loved? Hi, how are you? I'm good, how are you? I'm the one Jesus loves. Nice to meet you. I've heard about you. I'm the one Jesus loves. In fact... If, if Lazarus had a t-shirt or a bumper sticker, this is probably what it would look like right here. Show him what it would look like. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves This was a huge deal. You have to understand this. Lazarus was someone that Jesus loved so much that, I don't know if you ever caught this before, when the messenger gets there to tell Jesus what Mary and Martha sent him to tell them that he was sick, he doesn't mention his name. He says, Jesus, the one you loveth, is sick. It's a big deal. Oh, yeah, that Lazarus. 
Jesus loves me. This I know. We, we know that we know that particular song. But Jesus not only knew Lazarus, but he loved him. That's that's a, it's a deep kind of love. This isn't you. You know that guy. You know he, he. You know what's his name? He's sick. You need to go pray for him. No, 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 no. He knows Lazarus. I want you to remember that this messenger that came to Jesus told Jesus that the one that thou lovest. They stood out. Mary and Martha, no doubt, they knew when they sent message to Jesus that he had the ability and the power. They spent many days with him. They spent many nights with him. They spent their entire life with him. They've known him forever. And they seen Jesus perform miracle after miracle after healing after healing after healing. No doubt they stood in healing lines in the sun and seen God do all kinds of great, incredible things. So when they send the messenger to tell Jesus that the one that thou lovest is sick, they absolutely believed that Jesus could heal Lazarus. Jesus was the one. Jesus, the one that you love is sick. So the story continues in verse number four. When Jesus heard this, Jesus said, the sickness, this sickness will not end in death. And when Jesus opens up this, he opens up a brand new category of a that. Up until this point, they'd never heard this. When Jesus said, this sickness is not unto death. And he says, he carries on and says, no, it is for, the glo- for God's glory. This sickness is for God's glory. Jesus says, yeah, yeah, that, that's what it's for. God, why is Lazarus sick? For my glory. Wait a minute. Sickness is a bad thing. No, no this particular sickness is for my glory. So that, carry on, so that, purpose statement, God's Son may be glorified through it, it being the sickness. Whoa, 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 whoa. Back it up just a second. You're telling me that this sickness, you're telling me that what I never learned in Sunday school about this this particular sickness, this particular darkness that Lazarus is going through, It is for your glory. You know what's going on. You have a plan in this. Jesus says, I'm about to give you a light. I'm about to give you a light in a darkness that you know not of. You haven't seen this kind of light. I'm about to give you a hope where you don't think there's hope. This is so cool. John, in his writing, begins to tell the story. And obviously, he realizes there's about to take a crazy turn. And so, John, he begins to write. And he starts preparing us for this with some commentary just to make sure that we don't stop reading the story. Because in verse 5, he says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus. Here we go again with the love talk. Why are you telling us this, John? John's telling us this because he doesn't think that we're going to continue to read once we read the next verse. You're, you're going to turn this off. You're not, you need to hold on to this. That he, Jesus didn't just know them, but he loved Lazarus. He loved Mary, and he loved Martha. So before you read the next verse, you need to understand this. You need to hold on to this. He says, he loved Martha, her, her sister, and Lazarus. John, like... you. Yeah, we, we've got that. You've already told us that one other time that he loves Mary, he loves Martha, he loves Lazarus. But John says, you, you, have to, you have to get this. You can't go any further before I tell you what happens next in verse 6. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, meaning Jesus, he stayed where he was for two more days. Two more days. Wait a minute, John. So you're telling me that Jesus loves Mary, he loves Martha, he loves Lazarus. 
and he stays two more days, even if he didn't love Lazarus, even if Jesus didn't care about Lazarus or even know him, he said he loved Mary and Martha, even that request would have, surely their request to come and to help would have driven him to come. He loved Lazarus and stays two more days. I don't understand this. The disciples hear the news. They begin to stand up. They're ready to go. Let's go pray for Lazarus. This is what we do. Jesus says, have a seat. We're not going anywhere. Two days later, verse 7, Jesus says, let's go back to Judea. Let's go back. Let's head back toward Bethany. In verse 8, Rabbi, they said a short while ago, the Jews were trying to stone you, and yet you're wanting to go back. They're like a short time ago. Maybe you've forgotten about this, Jesus, but the Jews were trying to stone you. They were trying to kill you. And in case you haven't noticed, when they miss you with those rocks, they hit us. Are you sure you want to go back to Judea? Are you sure? And then Jesus does what Jesus always does. He answers them in this, this wild uh, answer and, and begins this new conversation, so to speak. John 11 and 9 says, Jesus answered, Are there not 12 hours of daylight? Say, what? <laughs> Time out. Aren't we talking about Judea? Aren't we talking about getting home to Lazarus, the one you love, the sick, Mary and Martha, you love them, and you're here for two days, and... Yeah. Are there not 12 hours of daylight? What are we talking about here, Jesus? What, what, this is what Jesus would do when, when he was about to teach something. He was so brilliant. And they all start leaning in to hear what he's about to say. And John is like, just, just write it down. I don't know where he's going with this, but it'll be important in a minute, I'm sure. So John writes this down. You got to get this. You got to get. John writes this stuff down. He just. And here we go. Are there not 12 hours of daylight? Question. Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble. For they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. Wow. Explains everything. I got this. John's like, keep writing, just do it. What are you talking about? What does this mean? Why would you, this, this important conversation about Lazarus, Mary, Martha, you love them, and it, you love them, and you love them, and you wait two days, and you blow out with this, and Jesus says there's 12 hours of daylight. What he's talking about is this. He's talking about opportunity. He tells them that every day when the sun is up, there's an opportunity to do things there's an opportunity that you lose when the sun goes down. And Jesus says to them, it's so, it's so incredibly powerful, that, guys, you can stay here if you'd like. I'm going to Judea. But here's what I want you to know. I'm not going to be here forever. There's going to come a day when the sun's going to go down. It's going to get dark. And I'm going to leave this earth. And when the light goes out and the darkness comes back, you're going to need to learn all that you can. Guys, if you'll follow me to Bethany... If you'll follow me to Judea, I want to teach you something. I want to give you something. I want to give you a candle of light. I want to give you a candle of hope that for the rest of your life, that throughout the darkness, no matter what you face, that you can carry this all the way through life. Because I'm about to introduce something that you've never seen before. And so while you have this opportunity, get up from where you are and follow me. Come with me. 
I know you're afraid. I know the Jews are going to have a plan to kill us. I know they're going to throw rocks at us. I know they have that. But if you will trust me, if you'll get up from where you are and you'll follow me, I'm going to show you something you've never seen before. If you stay here, you're going to miss the opportunity. That's what he's talking about with walking in the daylight and walking in darkness. And Jesus knew that he was about to leave this earth and that they needed this incredible story that we're talking about right now. So in verse 11, after he said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. So the disciples say this. They, they, I love this. They're so much like us, it's unbelievable. Uh, we, they, we think they're super spiritual, and then we read this. And if you read your Bible, you'd know that they weren't. So the Bible says... Because they don't want to go and they want to give Jesus some medical advice, really is what's happening in verse 12. His disciples replied to the Lord, if he's asleep, he's getting better. It sounds like to me his fever's breaking. There's really no need. I mean, he's resting. He's, there's no need to go wake him up. Have you, anybody in here ever given God medical advice before? Anybody? I have, Lord, every day, every time I go to the hospital. God, if you just, you know, right? I mean, God, all you have to do is this. I mean, if you, I mean, it's just high blood. If God, listen, it's so simple. Their concern is not for Lazarus. Get that out of your head. It's the rocks. It's, it's the stoning. It's the, it's the Jew. It's, it's all it is. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. See what I mean about being spiritual? Verse 14. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Let me break it down for you people. He's dead. He's dead. And then Jesus makes one of the most insensitive statements in the entire Bible. And don't rush ahead. Don't act like you know. You don't know. Remember? The most insensitive statement in the entire Bible. You ready for this? Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I'm glad I was not there. Whoa, 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 wait a bit, back up. You knew he was going to die? You let Mary and Martha nurse their sick brother all the way to death on purpose? You're glad we weren't there to save the one that you love? Jesus, I know you're into illustrations. I know you're into parables. I know you're into making big, you know, things in your teaching. But this is ridiculous. You knew he was going to die. What could be so important that you would let the, the people that you love and the man that you love die and for them to go through this? What could be so important for you to allow this to happen to them? And it picks up, so that. Everybody say, so that. So that, purpose statement. So that you may believe. So that you may believe. But let us go to him. Wait a minute, Jesus. This is so valuable to you, what you're teaching us in this real moment, not a made-up story, that you would allow this man to go through this, that you would allow, it's so valuable for us to believe. It's so valuable for us to believe in you, that you would allow this man to die, to bring us to grown-up faith in you and trust in you. Yeah, it's that important. It's that important. That's a brand new category, church. That's a brand new category that they didn't know anything about. 
And it wrecked some of our theology, me included, because I don't completely understand this and don't pretend to. However, I do know this, that Jesus created a that. Jesus created this moment by, by waiting two days. He creates this that so that we could understand, according to him, what God is doing when God isn't doing that thing that we think God ought to be doing. He's showing us what God is doing when he's not doing what we think and believe with all of our hearts he ought to be doing. You can say amen to that. That helped me. I need to know that. That's important to me. Then Thomas. Everybody's got one of these in their family. Everybody knows one of these. The Winnie the Pooh character. The, the Eeyore guy. Everybody know Eeyore? No. Nobody knows Eeyore. You know Eeyore. You probably live with one. Eeyore is, a, is a neg, always negative. He's, he's always down in his luck no matter what. You know, it's always something. And in verse 16, Eeyore speaks up. Jesus had one as well. Verse 16, then Thomas, then Thomas, also known as Didymus, says to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Let's just go die. All of us just go to, let's just, fine, let's just all go die. It's the will of God. That's just what we... I'm not preaching that tonight because that's not right. That's not right. Lazarus is dead. They're going to stone us and Jesus is for it. He let Lazarus die. It's his plan. And we're all just going to go die. And so Jesus says, whoa, 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 hold, hold up. Verse 17, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Everybody say four days because you've never heard this story before. You need to know that. This is where we have to pause and understand. I know it's been a little bit funny with Thomas, but let me tell you something. This drama that's taking place is real. Martha and Mary, this is real. This is something gut-wrenching. Their brother is dying, and they know Jesus. They don't just know Jesus, but they know Jesus. And better than that, Jesus knows them, and they are broken. Lazarus is back in Bethany, dying without morphine, no, no pills, no nothing, just waiting on Jesus. They don't even know what he's dying of. They just know he's dying. They send this urgent message to Jesus, the one that they know that he knows them. Mary and Martha are kneeling down in a bedside, and you know what this looks like. Many of us have been in this situation where you're at a bedside, and you're wiping the sweat off the brow of somebody you love, somebody you're, you're worried about, somebody on chemo. Mary and Martha are kneeling beside Lazarus, wiping the sweat from his forehead. Don't worry, Lazarus. Jesus is coming. We got a message to Jesus. You don't have to worry anymore. Jesus knows where you're at. You're at. Jesus knows what you're going through. You just hold on, man. He's going to be here. He's going to show up. Mary, you go out by the road. You go out and sit by out there and watch. Wait for Jesus. Tell him to come on when he gets here. We'll switch places at the hospital. You just you will just go in and out because God's going to show up. God's going to make a way. Jesus is coming. Don't worry. Mary, you remember that time we saw Jesus get that man up out of that wheelchair? You remember that time they carried that guy in and nobody gave him any hope and Jesus raised him from the dead? I'm expecting that same kind of Lord to walk into this room in just a few minutes. 
And they waited and they waited. After all, remember that time he healed that Gentile? The one that's not even front like us. He's completely estranged. Remember, he healed the guy from the Roman Empire. Remember that one? Jesus will be here. We have absolute faith that Jesus is going to show up. Jesus is going to heal you. And they waited and they waited and they waited and they waited. And the community, oh, the, the camera crews are out there. This is going to be one for the books. And here they come. The community waits with them and they watch with them. And the unthinkable happens. While they're waiting and their faith is strong, Lazarus dies. And still, and still, no Jesus. Maybe he'll come today. Still no Jesus. Finally, the people that took care of the dead bodies and took care of this sorts of thing went to Mary and Martha and said, Listen, it's been four days. We're going to go ahead and have to bury your brother. Wait, can we just wait a little bit longer? Jesus is coming. They told me that they got the message to him. I know he's on his way. I know he'll be here. Mary, Martha, I'm sorry. We're going to have to bury your brother. So Mary and Martha, they watch as their brother's being wrapped up in these grave clothes. And the Bible says that they go and they put him in a tomb and they roll a big stone in front of it and probably sealed the tomb, uh, the, the, with the, sealed the tomb and sealed the rock in front of the tomb. And they begin to mourn and still. They begin to cry. They begin to cry out and still no sign of Jesus. Still no sign of him. And isn't that where some of us live? Haven't we all been there? Haven't we all felt that? Haven't we all cried out to God and felt an unattentive, a disinterested, late feeling of disappointment, feeling of not, God, you don't understand. God, you're a long way off feeling. I believe with all my heart that Jesus created this that moment so that we could learn something from this, so we could carry hope out of this particular story. And it means so much more to me that it wasn't a parable and it wasn't something that just happened, but Jesus made this happen. That's how important this lesson is. This is what God is trying to scream out to us in this story. In verse 17, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Four days is significant because in this particular, in this particular first century, they believed that the spirit would, would hover over the body for at least three to four days, depending on how quickly the face would deteriorate. Because they believed that the spirit would hover over it, thinking that it could get back into it. But once it didn't recognize the face, that it would move on. It's superstitious. But the, the point is this, is that when Jesus got there, even their superstitious hope was gone. The hope of all hope was gone. Jesus arrives four days later. No hope. Now I want you to understand something. They're late. He's dead. Lazarus is in a tomb. Can you imagine how embarrassing that would have been for the 12 disciples walking behind Jesus as they're walking into a community, the Bible says, that have been watching and waiting. And now he's four days late and Lazarus is in the tomb. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the embarrassment that they must have felt? Because everybody was staring. Everybody was talking. Everybody was throwing out insults. He didn't rescue the one he loved? He didn't even come to the funeral? 
You go to the funerals of the people you love. Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. And he has the nerve to show up now? Why now? This is embarrassing. Verse 20. When when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. It's about time. But Mary stayed at home. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. Why do you think that that Mary stayed home and Martha comes out to see him? Lazarus is dead. She's got nothing else to do. She's been at the hospital with him forever, and she's finally at home and exhausted. I'm going to throw this out. She's mad. I'm just going to throw that out there. She's been weeping. She's been crying. She's been holding on to faith. She's been, she sent the message. Jesus knew about it. And she, he's not there. And he's been dead four days. And now he shows up. Martha takes off running to meet him. And Mary says, not me. Go ahead. I'm good. What do you do with those kinds of emotions? Jesus, you could have. Jesus, you should have. I would have. But you didn't. We gave you every opportunity, but you must not love us. You love strangers. You heal strangers. You heal Roman emperors, servants. You heal Gentiles, but you don't heal your own people. When Mary heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Verse 21, Martha says, Lord, she's finally getting to talk to me. She says, Lord, I have a feeling she had a tone, and I can't recreate that but you can believe that Martha says to Jesus if you had been here read it if you would have been here my brother would not have died and this is what we say this is what you say this is what I say if you would have been here if you would have shown up He would not have died. It is your fault. This is your doing in verse 22. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. And listen to Jesus' response here. We're hurrying through this. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, Lord, 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 Lord. I know, I know, I know, I know. I know what you're doing right now. I know he'll rise again, the resurrection, the last day. It's at this moment, you know, you've had these moments where people try to comfort you when you've lost someone you love, and they say, it's, hey, they're in a better place. They're in a better place. We're going to see him again some, someday soon. She's in a better place. You'll get to see him. Martha thinks that Jesus is going into some sort of a theological uh, uh, statement here that he, he's just trying to comfort her about the resurrection. She doesn't understand what he's talking about, and she doesn't, she doesn't want to hear what he's saying. All she knows is, is that you should have been here. And Jesus looks her right smack dab in the eye, this woman full of emotion and has all this pent-up craziness of why you have not been here. And he says to her what only the Son of God would possibly say to her. And he tells her, I am the resurrection and the life. Martha, you think the resurrection is an event, and it is. You think the resurrection is about the future, and it is. But Martha, 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 I'm not trying to comfort you necessarily. I'm telling you that I am. I am a resurrection. I am a resurrection and a life. I am. He goes on. The one who believes, there's that word again. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never 
die. And then he asked her a question. I believe he asked every single one of us in this room right now. He asked you a question that means so, it means different things to everybody in this room because you're all in different stages of your life. At six years old, you could answer this question. At seven, 25, it gets a little slower, 45, yeah. And then, then you get to where you're standing over somebody that you're bearing, that you love, and you're watching someone that you love suffer, and you just went through the most difficult time in your life, and he looks at her and asks the question that he asks every one of us, do you believe this? See, it's one thing to believe this at six years old. It's another thing to believe this when you just buried your brother and he's been dead four days. Do you believe I am? Even with all you've experienced, Martha, I want you to answer the question. Answer it right now. With what you've been through, with what's been happening, me not showing up, do you still trust me? Do you still believe in me? Am I still the person that you thought I was, even though I haven't acted the way you thought I should have acted? Wow. You can believe that Jesus... You can believe that Jesus set this up. I, I, and it's hard to believe that. It's hard to, to believe that Jesus would create this kind of, of, of confusion or this kind of, of hurt or pain, but he did. And, 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 and for the sake of their sake, our sake, because we're reading about it and gaining hope from it right now, but Jesus created this moment so that we might believe. Verse 27, yes, Lord, she replies. Then she goes into her own little theological thing because she really doesn't understand what she believes. She's so confused by the things that have been put on her. She's doubted everything because what she's faced. And then she, she comes out with this. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is coming to the world. Then she runs back to Mary. She runs back to Mary and she tells Mary, you've got to come see the Master. You've got to come see Mary. So Mary runs out there to see Jesus. And pretty much the same conversation happens between her and Jesus. And he, she says to him, why didn't, why didn't you make it? Why didn't you get here? You could have stopped this. And then John tells us in verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was, so, he was, he was deeply moved in the spirit and troubled. In verse 34, where have you laid him, he said. Come and see, Lord. They replied, and, he, and on their way, either on the way to the tomb or when he got to the tomb, I don't know what happens, but something happens that is absolutely profound that every one of us should take hope from. Something amazing happens. Jesus, either at the standing at the tomb or on his way, everything points to this. God, you should have done something. God, you should have shown up, but you chose not to. And it's not because God was so distant. It wasn't that he was so far away that he still had the ability to, to, to understand or to sympathize with him because verse 35 says this, Jesus wept. Jesus paused. Now get this, why would he weep now? He knows what's about to happen. Why would Jesus stand at the mouth of the cave knowing what he's about to declare to Lazarus? I personally believe that he was getting us, uh, giving us a glimpse into, I'm not so far off that I can't be moved by what you're moved by. I don't want you to think that I'm some mean, faraway God that I can't sympathize or I don't understand what you're going through. I don't just move you around like pawns to just create nothingness and it doesn't mean anything. And you have all this hurt and pain and questions of why, God, why didn't you take care of this? Why don't you intervene in that? That God says, I'm, I'm weeping, I'm crying. I want you to see that I'm moved by this moment. 
even knowing what he was about to do. It's as if he said, I'm not too big to understand. Then the Jews said, the Jews see this happen, and they say, they pick up here, see how he loved him? See, I told you he loved him. See how he loved him? He's standing outside the tomb, mourning the loss of his friend, verse 37. But some of them said, could not he who opened the blind eyes have kept this man from dying? And here it is again, the same question that we're asking right now. Why didn't he do something about that? He obviously loved him. Why didn't he do something about that? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Verse 39, take away the stone, he said. Take away the stone. Now, they weren't expecting him to say that because they were a little confused about that. They understood a little bit about the resurrection, not completely. Lazarus was dead, and, and Jesus wants them to remove the stone. They're a little confused about the resurrection and what he just asked them to do. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been dead four days. Like she's a little twisting the knife there a little bit. Oh, wait a minute. Time out. You... Oh, you think he just died. Oh, I see. You show up four days later and want us to remove No, he's been dead four days. No we, no, we didn't have the funeral yesterday. We had it a long time ago. It's been four days. Verse 40. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, that is if you put your trust in me, if you will put your weight on me, Did I not tell you, if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Wait a second. Jesus, wait a second. I'm hastening. Whoa, whoa. This whole thing is about the glory of God? You created this whole that? This whole thing is for your glory? This whole thing is whether or not we believe or trust in you, and it's for your glory? then that one thing doesn't get changed, and we think it should be changed. You let your friend die for us to learn something about your glory? I told you, Jesus said, if you keep your eyes open, if you will continue to trust me, if you'll continue to believe in me, if you'll continue to put one step in front of the other, if you continue to live your life in a way that you believe in me, that somehow, some way, even in the midst of what you're facing, you're going to catch a glimpse of the glory of God. How in the world can we catch a glory, a glimpse of your glory in the midst of difficult times? By keeping your faith and confidence in Jesus Christ. Verse 41, so they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Verse 42, I knew that you are always, you always hear me. But I said this for their benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead men came out, his hands and feet wrapped in strips of linen and cloth around his feet. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. I know y'all never heard this, so I'm going to tell you. You ever wonder why Jesus had to tell them, take off the grave, go ahead and take that off of him. 
Because nobody was moving toward him. Oh, no, 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 no. Whoa, whoa, whoa. No, not, uh-uh. No, no, uh-uh. Can't be. Jesus said, somebody go. Somebody. Jesus says, verse 45, Therefore many of the Jews who came, get this, many of the community, many of the Jews that had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. I guess so. I bet they did when they saw a dead man four days come out of a grave. Get this. He didn't just heal somebody that had fallen asleep. He didn't heal somebody that was in a coma. He didn't heal somebody that was just kind of breathing or kind of conscious. He raised a dead man. Listen to me. I want you to hear this. There's nothing. There is nothing. There is nothing. There is nothing. There is nothing that God cannot do. There's nothing that he cannot do. Nothing. There's nothing our God can't do. So why doesn't God do something about it? My goodness. The answer is, we don't know. Ah, uh, no, it's a huge, uh, no, I, I got nothing. We don't know. Here's what we do know. Here's what we do know. Because of a day at Bethany that Jesus created with people that he loved, 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 loved. We know that he can. We know that sometimes he waits. And we know that we can trust him in the meantime. We know he can. We know sometimes he waits. But we also know that we can trust him in the meantime. So let me ask you. Why doesn't God do something about? I don't know. But I know he can. I know he can. And I also know that sometimes he waits. He waits so long sometimes that it feels like he's late. He waits so... He's never been late. But it feels like he's late. And it feels like nobody knows what's happening. And it feels like when you've reached the master... And you've given him all your heart. You've given him all the examples of why he should and why he should show up and he should do what he does. And he waits. You can understand and know this, that if we will trust him in the meantime, God will show up. He will absolutely show up. Here's a promise that I want you to take home with you. John chapter 11 verse 40 again says, If you believe. Everybody say, if you believe. I know it's easy when you're six. It's easy when you're seven. It's even easy when you're 20. But when you're standing over somebody that you've been nursing, trying to nurse back to health, and you're praying for God to heal them, if you believe Jesus' words, not mine, you will see the glory of God. How can that be? How can you, how can you even say that? How can you say that Jesus that we can see your glory in the midst of a situation that we're saying, God, why don't you fix that? And you're not there to fix it. How can we see your glory? By believing. If you'll believe. If you'll continue to trust. If you'll maintain your hope. If you'll continue to maintain focus. Even in the worst of the worst. Even when you bury plan A and it's been dead four days. 
in the midst of a that, in the midst of a that, where you have no explanation why God isn't showing up and why God isn't doing what he said he would do when he said he would do it. That God said if we would believe that he's willing and able to leverage the that that we're going through for his glory and for our good if we could continue to trust him. I know it's, it's not emotionally satisfying. I wish, I, I, wish, I wish God would have revealed to me and I could have brought to you tonight an emotional, satisfying answer to why doesn't God do something about that? But I don't have that. All I have is what he created for us to look at, for that candle, for that candle that he lit for his disciples to hold on to in dark times. It was a candle that he handed his disciples that very day because Jesus knew just a short time they were going to feel the darkness of all darkness that he was going to be up on a cross. He was going to be nailed to a cross with a crown of thorns on his head. And the disciples were going to feel alone. They were going to feel lost. And they were going to feel abandoned. It was a that moment for them. And they had a candle in their hand that they had went to Bethany to see Jesus do. And it was simply, if you'll hold on, if you'll trust, if you'll put your focus on me, if you'll lean into me. I love that. But belief is such a great word. I love that too. But if you will put your faith in me, if you'll let me carry you through what you're going through, if you'll put that kind of weight on me, the weight you've been carrying around, if you'll put your faith in me, I want you to know that God will show up. I know, God, that you, you are a great God and you love us. I know you do, but I don't know why you're late. I don't know why you're doing what you're doing. But I do know this. I know you can. I know sometimes you wait. And I know that you've asked me to believe and hold on to faith and hold on to hope in the meantime. That's the message that Jesus left this earth preaching. That's the message that he handed his disciples. And it's been the hope and the message of the church ever since. Ever since. Ever since. There's nothing new to that. Jesus, you loved them so much that you created a that for them that you could leverage that for us today, right now, right now in this moment. All of us that are going through the that's of life. And I know I'm there right now. I've been there. You've been there. God, what in the world are you up to? I can't see how all this is going to work out for my good. God, we buried plan A so many years ago and still haven't seen the fruition of your complete work and what you're doing. And God would say to you, and God would say to you, I know it's dark, but I've given you a candle. I have given you a light that if you will believe in me, God, really, you'd let me go through all this so that just... Yes, if you open up your eyes, you will see a glimpse of the glory. God, if you just get me out of here, why are you waiting? Why are you taking so long? Be patient. I've got a plan. I've got a purpose for you. You hold on to hope. You let the candle of belief burn. And you'll catch a glimpse of Almighty God. Stand with me right now. And that concludes today's podcast. Thanks again for listening.